This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here your host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you are here today. We're in a series called For the Love of Community and Friendships. As a podcast team, we're constantly paying attention to you, our listener, and what you are saying and what you're asking for. Like every time you send us an idea or a request, or this is something I'd love to hear on the show, we're paying attention. And we just have this consistent through line of our listening community saying community and friendship as an adult is still something of a pain point. I feel like we need instruction around this. I thought it would be this way, but it's this way. I don't know how to manage this as a grown up. There's just a lot around this idea. And so we knew we wanted to do an entire series on it. And so I can't think of a better guest than the one I have today in this space because. I think sometimes when we're hungry for connection and friendship, we keep thinking it's a real complex, hard to find place to go get it. Like, where do you have to go? Where do you have to join? Right. But the truth is, we literally are embedded in neighborhoods. We live by people. Like, We have neighbors. We are already in a community just by virtue of where we live. I know as a community, we run the gamut here. Like some of us are deeply connected in our neighborhood and some not at all. Like when's the last time you reached out to one of your neighbors? I know that we have certainly people that we feel comfortable with, but do we know the people we live by, right? Beyond, hey, how are you? Or do we know about our neighbors' families? Do we know about their lives? Do we know their children? Do we know their struggles and their victories? And I think our country is real wobbly around this right now. This sense of community in our neighborhood. We are absolutely being taught to fear each other right now, that we are constantly in danger, that people mean us harm, that our neighbors are to be distrusted. It's just the craziest thing I've ever seen where somehow this constant rhetoric 
is turning us against our own neighbors. It's so bananas. And so I'm interested in reversing this trend, this slow sense of like place and community and connection having people around our tables, having our neighbors on our porches, being around theirs and being deeply invested in one another, living our lives, just our ordinary, plain, daily lives with the people around us. And so our guest today is just a precious friend of mine, really, like for so long now. And one of my favorite people, that is no hyperbole. She's particularly gifted in the space of community and being neighborly. And you may remember, if you're a longtime listener, you may remember her from our For the Love of Books series, which kind of felt like a lifetime ago at this point. And she's back today. So I've got Shannon Martin with us. You guys get excited. She is just special. She's a special person in the world. I don't know how else to say it. She is a writer. She's a speaker who says she found her voice in the country and found her story in the city. And we're going to unpack that. She works as a cook at The Window, which is this local nonprofit in her community dedicated to feeding anybody who needs to be fed in Indiana, in Goshen, Indiana, where she lives. And she's just a wonderful and a special and a unique person. After you listen to this conversation, you will want to live next to her, which is a sentiment echoed in the foreword that I wrote for her first book, which is called Falling Free. And then her second book was called The Ministry of Ordinary Places, which is what we talked about last time she was on the show. And then her latest book is called Start With Hello. And it is just lovely. And it brims with possibility. And our other friend of the show, Oshita Moore, said this about it. She said... It's a call to action toward radical, realistic hospitality. And that's true. And not in some big, performative, complicated, fussy, fancy way. In fact, it's the opposite of every word I just said. And so I want you to enjoy this conversation, this idea of what it means to be deeply embedded in a neighborhood where you are both, you are a good neighbor, your neighbors are good neighbors to you. And you are truly living in this connected, beautiful way. It's lovely. It's hopeful. You'll see why she's my absolute favorite. So without any further ado, please enjoy this just beautiful conversation with my friend who I love, Shannon Martin. I'm so happy to see you. It's Shannon Day. Lucky me. Hi. Lucky me. Hi. Okay. So this is not your first time on the show. I'm so happy to have you back. But it was a while back. We did For the Love of Books. And at the time, the Ministry of Ordinary Places had just released. And so stuff has happened since. Yeah. Before we kind of drill into some of this, if you would, lay out for the listeners who maybe didn't hear your first episode, who Shannon is, what matters to her, what you care about, where you are in the world, who are your people, what is your deal? What is your deal? What is my deal? Let's go with what is your deal and then we'll spool out from there. 
Okay. Yes. So I am married to Corey Martin. He is a jail chaplain. And that's just central to a lot of probably, at least in my heart and in my head, that's that's pretty central to my life. We have four kids. So we have an adult son, Robert, who is lives nearby, but he's out on his own with his family, you know, living his adult life. And then we have three teenagers at home. We're getting ready to send our first kid to college in August. So that's something I've never done. That's happening in about a month. So yeah, Calvin is heading to Purdue in August. And then Ruby will be a junior. Silas will be in high school. How? What? what? (laughs) Why? These children are just babies. I know. It doesn't make sense. I know. They just keep getting older. And so my family moved about a dozen years ago now to this home where I'm sitting right now in Goshen, Indiana. So Goshen is a small little city up by the Michigan line. You know, we we had lived like 15 minutes away. So it wasn't a, a big dramatic move. And yet it was a real big, real dramatic move. And when we landed in this neighborhood, which is just a really, it's a really beautiful place. It, it has my whole heart forever. And we'll talk more about that. But that's that's the point in time where I just became wholly obsessed with ideas of community and connection and belonging. And how do we do this? How do we kind of live together as neighbors in the midst of our full and yet very ordinary lives? And so at that point, I mean, that's when I started to just, you know, I write about this, I talk about it, I think about it, I read about it. I mean, I care a lot about this. And just what have I learned and what do I continue to learn from my actual neighbors? And then I also work on staff at the window. It's a community kitchen just one mile up the street from where I'm sitting. And we cook lunch for for anybody who wants to come and eat with us. I work there two days a week. And I I care deeply about food. This is something you and I have in common. So much so. So yeah, those are, I mean, between community and, and all that that involves in food, I mean, that's that's like 97% of what I think about. Yeah. What's on the menu this week? Oh my gosh. What, okay. I just made yesterday. So I obviously I didn't work today, but I worked yesterday. I made a massive, like for 120 people of tomato basil salad. Oh, with like the balsamic. Get out. Now, working at a community kitchen, like normally I would love some mozzarella in that. We don't, we didn't have mozzarella. No, you work we, with what you have. We pivot. So it has provolone. We diced it pretty small. So tomato, I took basil out of my own garden and they're going to eat that. They're eating that. Yeah. Here in about an hour, they'll be eating that. Yes. Okay. That delights me to no end. Also, you talk a lot about what you're cooking, and it is from scratch, delicious. Like this isn't open an industrial size can and heat it up. Like this, Every, is, I mean, now yeah. and then it is to be fair, but but the bulk of what we do, I mean, I spent hours chopping tomatoes, and and I love that. I mean, at the end of the day, I just stood there and did my work, and you know, said hi to my friends, and I got to help serve lunch and all those things, but. At the end of the day, I had two massive tubs of tomato salad that took me hours and it's time well spent. I loved every second. Yeah. Yeah. You and I both also, almost in any context, just like to be somewhere with a knife in our hand and a beautiful something in front of us to cut. But then you add this like lovely dimension of feeding your neighbors and working with your colleagues and coming up with fun menus 
that can feed a a crew. It's just incredible. Let's talk about this because I met you first of all, and by met, I mean the internet met you. So I was just reading your work and I was just following you and just like a side fan back in the flower patch farm girl days. And so you briefly mentioned this earlier, but would you say that that was the key that turned the lock, right? When you went from, I'm a girl who lives in the country with like gingham. Right. Fabrics and, you know, gardens. Literally. Yeah. 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 uh Curtains to now I'm a person for whom neighborliness community became the center spoke of the wheel. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to hear a little, if you can go back that far first and be like, this was my trajectory. This is what I thought mattered. And to be fair, you were not living a gross life. Like <laughs> right. no. you had some beautiful elements. Oh my gosh. Life. You were close yeah. to I mean, there was stuff. It wasn't like I was terrible. And then I was great. Right. But you had a really strong and severe sea change in the way that you and your family were living in where can you just, can you go there? And then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. So bless her heart, flower patch farm girl. I mean, she's still in me and that's the thing. Of like course. I don't, you still make pickles. I do, man. Yes. I, I mean, I'm still, I, you know, I laugh about it. It's funny. That's the day where we were giving, we couldn't just be our name. I that's guess right. like we had to like, that's right. I remember typing into the computer. I had babies at the time. We lived in this gorgeous farmhouse and I'm typing into the blogger search engine. Flower Patch Foodie was my first choice. Of course. And it was taken. I didn't know that. Foodie Farm Girl. It was Foodie something. One of the words. You know, alliteration, all these things. And so I'm like, well, shoot, that's taken. So how about Flower Patch Farm Girl? And it wasn't taken. And I'm in people's phones to this day. As flower patch farm girl, like that's my I didn't know your real name. name. That's all I knew. That was who you were to me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just knew your face, your yes. home, and your children. This is like, how we rolled. Her, I wonder if she has a first name, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So we. I mean, my life, my life. Then you know, I had small children, and so that part was kind of chaotic. But but I really believed that this was my forever home. It was my dream home. I had grown up in the country, so had Corey. We believed that that was like the life for us and we were going to raise our kids and they would, you know, have this idyllic upbringing. And then we were only there for four years. And it was, so we, we went from like, this is forever to like, this is real short and we're just going to make a big pivot. And we really did. It's, it's hard to kind of recapture all of the spokes on that wheel. If anybody's real interested, I wrote it all down in, in Falling Free, my first book, but kind of how did we get from there to here? But but really, we were just captured in some way that continued to unfold and, and grow by the, the realization on some level, because even what we knew, we didn't really know. You know, the, this is how life kind of carries sure. us along. It's like this little kernel of like, wait, like everybody around us is very similar to us. And I wonder if we might be missing something, you know, everybody around me for really my entire life, just looked, lived, believed almost exactly like I did. And so that, that made for a very comfortable life for me in a lot of ways. And then, and then I began to crave something a little bit different and it's worth mentioning. My kids all came into our family through adoption. That's another thing you and I have in common. 
And so, you know, there, there was, once we kind of set that wheel into motion of like, we're just going to move into this bigger city, into this, this little kind of overlooked neighborhood. It also was a much more diverse area in a lot of ways. So it wasn't like the inciting factor, but, but once that wheel was in motion, we were also smartly like, oh, this might actually be better for our kids too. And so there were a lot of like their neighbors. That's Mm -hmm. right. Like they're not going to be the only non-white kids in their school. And that seems like a good idea. And so I've learned a ton just in, I mean, I, you know, I, I try to be grateful for, for the areas where I have grown. It took some time, you know, I wish I could say that I knew that all along and I just didn't. Some of that came to me late and in a lot of ways, I'm just making up for lost time and, and figuring out kind of, you know, what is the good life? right? Like what is the good life? And and I think moving into this community has shown me that the good life requires us to, to be pressed up against people who are different from us in a lot of different ways. And, and I see it every day. I wonder if you can talk about the early stages of that, because now this has become really your work in the world. I mean, this has developed strongly into not just your messaging and the way that you use your gifts, but your life, like your actual life. This permeates every sort of molecule of the way that you live now. Can you talk about it early on? Because we're in this series on community and friendship. And so you don't immediately go from, hey, neighbors, we're here. We're new. Let's let's do a whole new name. There is a process. So learning what it means to become a good neighbor, particularly in a complex neighborhood. Yeah, right. There's less complexity when you just move into a same same, you know, and you pretty much can guess what everybody's thing is because it's kind of like this is not the case with your move. And so I wonder if you can talk early on what was motivating you, what were your thoughts, what were you thinking about your neighbors, what were your hangups, where did you feel disoriented and maybe even like under-resourced to sort of come in and live in a different way. I can think back into that time of our life. And number one, you know, we were, we were so truly excited to settle in and, you know, Silas was in preschool. Ruby was in kindergarten. She was just starting kindergarten. Calvin was in second grade. So just a whole different phase of life. Right. Robert was not officially part of our family yet. So there was a lot happening. Corey I mean, the jail was nowhere on our radar at this time. Like, you know, life just continues to unfold. And so, you know, our lives look different in some ways. But I remember feeling lonely. That was a motivator for me because now it's exciting to be here. We're glad to be here, but I don't know anybody. And I'm an introvert by nature. And still, like, introverts still need connection, introverts still need community. And so, you know, that, that loneliness, was a motivator. I just remember, you know, being weird to try to get to know people, you know, literally going out front. If I would hear people kind of walking past, you know, I'm pointing out my windows there, but that's our street facing window. And if I could hear people coming by, I would try to like be casually outside, (laughs) you know, like I just, I needed people and I wanted to get to know my neighbors. And it was, it was, I didn't know how to do it. I did not know. I, I had grown up with like cornfields as my neighbors for most of my life. I didn't know what I was doing. One of the things that I learned from that time that I think it matters for all of us to learn this is that 
it took me outside of finding my people. I kind of bristle against that language a little bit because it implies that we're going to go find comfort. We're going to go out and find people who, you know, on paper, we just make a lot of sense together and we've got a lot in common. We're in the same phase of life and then we're just going to be friends. I was suddenly in a situation where I just needed anybody. <laughs> and, and it taught me rather than going out looking for my people, I could just recognize my people. They were already here. They were already around me. On paper, we probably didn't make any kind of sense together. But just looking around in my ordinary life and saying, like, hey, we're both here. That must matter for some reason. Let's find out, like, let's find out why. Let's find out why that matters. Let's just kind of choose each other. <laughs> because in some ways, it's a lot simpler than putting the pressure on ourselves to go, you know, find somebody who's who has everything in common with us. It's a lot more interesting and fun. It might be a little bit messier. But that's where some of my most enduring friendships have grown. It's just recognizing like we're in the same place at the same time. And I think that's the gift of knowing our actual neighbors. I don't necessarily only mean the people who live on both sides of us, but just anybody we're kind of rubbing shoulders with in our regular ordinary lives, that is friendship and connection waiting for us. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. So get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. Your last book is Start With Hello. And I like it because it's a pretty simple, straightforward roadmap. Like, but how do I do it? Well, let's start with hello. Right. Let's go to the beginning of any conversation. And frankly, that's true. In some ways, this can be like a, a complex process of becoming like a really good neighbor and letting your neighbors be good neighbors to you and like living in community. But on another hand, you just, it's not rocket science, right? Like I'm thinking about the listener going, I don't know my neighbors or I'm new or I've never done this before. I've never even thought about it like this before. Like, let's talk about some of those early, those early reach outs, be they awkward, weird across language right. barriers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, every relationship that we have, whether it's the smallest acquaintance or, you know, our, our truest loves began with a hello, the math checks out. And so we run the risk of overlooking these small things. And really, I think when it comes to community and connection, the small things are really the only things because that's where everything, you know, everything builds from that. 
it can't be an ending point where we just, you know, we're out in the world, like saying hi, hi to everybody. And that's the end. But as we kind of condition ourselves to be paying attention to who is around us and noticing the people around us, and then we grow into it. I think abundance means that we can let it be slow. And it is like, there's no, there's no, you know, quick and speedy plan to connection with the people near you. I've been here for 12 years. There are still people that I don't know. There are people who have come and gone. There are still people that, that it feels harder or it feels awkward in some way, or, you know, we have barriers between us. And I know now that there's something to this idea of staying put in a place for as long as we're able. And we don't always have a say in that. But for as long as we're here, we're going to be committed to this place, whether we chose it or didn't choose it. And, and we know that it, that it matters that we live in a place where we can look around us and know the people closest to me know who I am and I know them. And when, when chaos strikes, a lot of times it's going to be our, the people near us in proximity or who are the first responders in some way. It just matters to know that they're going to have my back and that they know that I'm going to have their back. And so, yeah, you know, when you think about how, what were some of those early conversations like, I'm still having some of those. There's not an ending point. And so, you know, just being, being willing to take those small little steps of making eye contact, paying attention, saying hello, helping when we can, it all counts. Mm. I love that. And it reminds me of what you were wanting to title the book and they wouldn't let you. And I loved it. Something for the long haul. Do you remember? Oh, oh, I tried to title every book love song for the long haul. <laughs> That's what it was. Love song for the love. I loved it. I was like, yes, put it on the cover. And they just wouldn't have it. They still, I, I still have That's not right. given up. Listen, <laughs> because thank you for remembering that when you yes. said that I was like, oh no, I don't know if I remember, but of course yes. I remember. Yes. It's that's what it is though. That's how I feel in my life. And, and I just, I, I'm going to keep repeating as often as I can while we talk, I am an introvert. Like I am not an extroverted person. This does not come naturally to me. It's not always easy, but the more we commit to our place, whatever our place might be, the more we notice it, the more we attend to it, we fall in love with it. And that that love just kind of grows and it we we bounce it around the room kind of. It gives us fuel for the long haul. It just does. It works. One thing that you have talked at length about and you wrote at length about too in Start With Hello, one thing that I love that you have dismantled in this sort of ethos of neighborhood and community is that at its core, being a good neighbor also means letting your neighbors be good neighbors to you. You're not just there. It's this not a one-way street. It's not, I'm going to move in and bring the good. It, that's not at all. In fact, that is kind of catastrophic. So it's this thing like, oh, no, no, no. It is a give and receive. Like, we are good neighbors to each other. That's what really it is. Can you talk about yeah, that a little bit more? I'd love to. When we set out to title this book, which is always a tumultuous process for me because I keep giving love song for the long haul and I keep being told no. That's right. I <laughs> do learned, appreciate your tenacity. I really do. Uh, I've learned that maybe titling is just not my forte. 
but when it got to the subtitle, like, you know, not to get too in the weeds here, but these things really matter. There's a lot of conversation that goes into them. There's a lot of opinion. And, and I remember being really resolute, you know, despite all the ideas being kicked around, it couldn't be a book, you know, the subtitle is and other simple ways to live as neighbors. It could not be other simple ways to be a good neighbor. It had to be to live as neighbors because that implies the reciprocity because we just, we can't be a good neighbor by ourselves. <laughs> it requires, you know, by virtue, it requires that we are living in the tension and in the abundance and in the push and pull of, of other people. And so, yeah, that's the whole key is if we are not receiving from the people around us, we're just not living as neighbors. We're, we're you know, w- when I arrived into this neighborhood, I for sure still had some of those. I thought I had, I had kind of you know, cast off some of them, but I still arrived with plenty of this baggage of like, well, here I am. Now, what do I do? And a lot of people around me were reinforcing that by, okay, you live, you know, you moved into an under-resourced neighborhood. You must be starting a thing. Totally. You must be planting a church, which absolutely not. Like that was, we were the last people that would, should ever do something like that. But it was like implied that there had to be this outreach, this ministry, if you will, that we were coming here to do. And I remember in those early years, even just being like, wait, now I'm just, now I just live here. Like I'm not doing a thing. I just live. Like these are the conversations I'm even having with God at that point was like, but, but what should I Uh be doing? What am I producing? Right. What should I, how should I be helping? Uh And and I just felt like God was saying like, just live your life, Shannon, just be normal. That's truly, if I could say like what I felt like God was saying to me, it was just be normal, settle down. Okay. okay. That may have to be the title of your next book. Just be normal. Right. <laughs> but there's something that like, you know, settle that helped settle me into the space. And that's really where the ministry of ordinary places came from was this idea of that is the ministry, you know, for people like you and I, who came out of that world or who still might be in that world, the ministry is not opening a food pantry the ministry is is just learning to to live in community with each other in love in respect that's the thing that's the the key and we know that god cares about us living as neighbors this is a refrain through the bible and and so trying to figure out what does that mean why does this matter that's just been kind of my my life's journey <laughs> at this point it's just really understanding that it's, and, and we see it over and over again, it's this idea of, of the, the give and take, taking the focus off of ourselves and putting it onto us as a collective. That's the thing. Tell us about some of your neighbors. Like, oh man, pick a couple. <laughs> I have the most wonderful people around me. I mean, you know, our neighborhood at this point, 12 years in, it looks, it looks different in some ways. When we moved in, a lot of our block was abandoned homes. So the house that I sit in now was one of those homes. They were basically getting rid of, you know, tearing down these homes that had been abandoned for decades. So I remember that first year we were like coming out of evangelical culture. Corey and I both had never been allowed to trick or treat. And we had these little kids and I'm desperate desperate to get to know the people around me. So I'm like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to trick or treat. And so we, we were like, digging under the beds for costumes. We were pulling stuff together. And then we went out and like, then we're like, oh, 
there really aren't that many people around. It didn't work. But in the intervening years, that has changed a little bit. And so now, you know, I, I would say most of our neighborhood are Latino folks. So for some of those folks, we do have language barrier. Our next door neighbors have lived here. They moved into their home, which is like the twin of our home, but a different color. It's that kind of situation. They, they moved in like the year before we did. And one of the things that like a tradition, and I mentioned it because we're, we're planning <laughs> this right now, we spend every 4th of July with them in our backyards. Oh, I know. I know and, these and stories. It's been wild. Like one of the years, one of the COVID years, we were like kind of trying to stay in our own yards, but still trying to celebrate. And I don't know how or why they were in charge of the music that year. And we listened to the Alan Jackson Christmas album on repeat. No, I don't know why. Not Alan I don't know Jackson why. Christmas. Alan Jackson Christmas on 4th of July. Remember that I'll never forget it. I'll <laughs> never forget that year. I mean, these are the things that, I mean, they're just amazing people and, you know, we're not best friends forever with them. We're not going on vacations, but I, I know that I know that they have my back. I know that they care for, for me and my family. Laura passes us plates of food often. And for that, we are very thankful. We try to do the same and it's just falling into this rhythm of letting it be what it is, reaching out when we're able not overcomplicating it. But then beyond that, you know, I think of my, the people I serve lunch to and with, you know, eat with as my, my neighbors. And they are, they're just a beautiful, funny, caring crew of people. They are complicated in some, some different ways than I'm complicated. We're all complicated people. But I can say that, that knowing their faces and names, many of them are unhoused people who are honestly vilified by some in this community. And I just come back over and over again, man, when, when we know somebody's face and their name and they know us, you know, these ideas that we might have about this group or that group or the other, they just fall away. You know, there's this unfair idea that if somebody is unhoused, they're going to be inherently a danger to us. And it's just simply not true. So yeah, I'm just, I just feel like the luckiest woman alive, honestly, <laughs> I really do. And, and, and I guess I just, I want that for us. I want us to, to come to a place where, where we really believe that we don't have to be afraid of each other, because I think so much of this is, is rooted in fear of difference. It is. And of course, we don't need to spill a lot of ink on this because you and I'll never get off of it, but that is the dominant pervasive culture we're swimming in right now, which is to fear one another, to always be on the defensive as if we are in danger, which makes us offensive. Right. That's what happens when you constantly feel like someone is out to harm you, then in turn, you are chronically offensive. And even dangerous. I mean, we've been seeing this recently. People, you can't knock on a neighbor's door, you know, without fear. Remy was wanting to do this door-to-door thing. She was earning money, saving money for camp. And I'm like, you just can't. Like, I, it's a weird moment in our in our country where people are scared and of each other, of the neighbor on their street, or a kid who's a different color, or whatever. And so, I'm with you on this. That if we would be willing to become proximate 
to one another, just in a normal way, just be normal. The title of your next yeah. book. <laughs> I think we would be so pleasantly surprised yeah. to discover what we have in common, which is so much. It's so yeah. much. It's most of everything. Well, and and even our differences, like we we can have a lot of difference between each other and not be afraid of that. You know, we can celebrate that. I mean, I I just, I come back over and over to, and I appreciate what you shared about Remy because I I always, I want to be always aware that, you know, I I sit in some different privileges, you know, and I think the the similar things about, about my kids, you know, there's, there's different levels of like some people need to be careful in a different way. That's really unfair. Yeah, I is. guess is that's what I'm trying exactly to say. The conversation she and I had. And, and I have those conversations with my kids too. And it's important for all of us to remember this. And I still feel like we are safer. You know, the culture keeps telling us the only way to be safe is to stay far away from each other. That's right. And, and I think difference and polarization has always existed, but now our culture is telling us not only are we different, you can't play with those people and you can't play with those people. And if you do, your belonging with us is at risk. A hundred percent. And so it's just, it, it's not a new thing, but we're handling it differently. And we're saying like, you stay over there and you stay over there. The only way for us to be safe is by knowing each other. I agree. You know, it's like, it's like any of your neighbors who know who Remy is, she can yeah. go to their door. Of course. They yeah. know her, she knows them. And so there's, it feels counterintuitive. I had somebody ask me that recently when I was speaking at a thing like, well, but you know, kind of that, that similar example, you know, we can't even go to each other's doors. And I'm thinking, well, I get that. And I don't want to gloss over that or over oversimplify that. But if we can get to know each other in ways that are slow and over time, That's right. then we can go to each That's other's exactly doors right. because we know each other. It makes us safer. It does. Case in point, right around the same exact time when I am tucked in my bed at like 10 p.m. because I'm old, dead asleep. And Remy apparently was making banana bread. I don't know. You know how teenagers are like, you know what? It's 10. I should make bread and didn't have enough sugar. So she walks to my neighbor's house, 10 p.m. Oh my goodness. 10 p.m. And because we have each other's like gate codes and like we do like get my trash and I'll get yours and you do all the things. Just walked into their house, walked right in. Oh and my I, goodness. Remy. He's like, you guys, I'm sorry. I've seen a cup of sugar. And I was like, <laughs> this is everything. I'm just saying it can swing too hard where you're going right. to tell your own children. That is not your home. You still have to knock <laughs> or also you don't knock at 10 PM. So right. That's hysterical. I know, but you are so right. The, this can be overcome the slow way, the slow way and the real way. That's the only way to do it is, and and we like our quick fixes and I include myself in that, but, but if, if we all decided today is day one, like starting today, whatever our life happens to look like, regardless of how connected we feel like we are today is a new day. I'm going to be a little more intentional. And understanding this is not going to be like, and in six months, you know, Uh that's right. But, but when we make that little shift, you know, you turn that ship by just a couple degrees, it keeps carrying us into change and into connection and into more freedom and less fear. 
I mean, these are the things that that we are longing for right now. And, and so people tell me all the time, this isn't even possible. And I know they're wrong. I know they're wrong. And so we can be, we can just put just a little more intention behind it. And that's why I wrote this book, because when I showed up 12 years ago, I didn't know what in the world I was doing, but I learned some things along the way that made it simpler. And I learned them from my neighbors. <laughs> you know, everything I know was learned secondhand. And so, you know, if I can, if I can, they say writers should write the book that they want or wanted. And that's really what I did here. I wanted to make it just as simple as absolutely bare bones simple as possible because it's the that's the only way we're going to do it. That's right. That's well, that's the only, only way. way it is. The bar has to be so low or yeah. I'm just going to go sit on the couch and read my book forever. Yeah. Yeah. Right, absolutely. And it's this recalibration. This is again like this is old evangelical thinking, but it's this recalibration of what counts. Right? Like back in the day, it, the impact the impact was the measure, whatever that was, like fill in the blank. I mean, you could sort that out however you want for whatever the thing was. It's just garbage thinking in general. Like, that's not the thing. The thing is the small little moment. That's what it is. There it is, beginning and end. It's simple, just be normal. Right. It's not about like, you know, I was raised and probably you were too. Like the ultimate thing you could do was like invite somebody, invite your neighbor to church. Well, ultimate that doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't really work for anybody. It doesn't bring us closer together. It, it splits us apart. So, so for my family, we came to understand that fairly early on. And we knew that if, if we were ever going to invite somebody to church, the, the path to that was through our kitchen. So that, that became our, our rule, our family rule. And I, you know, we could have another conversation about even inviting people to church, but, but at that time in my life, like that was conversations we were having. So unless you had sat with us at our table, like that was just not even going to be brought into conversation. And that really helped to recalibrate us in some really important ways. And it goes back to that idea of like, you know, what we're taught about ministry or serving each other. What if we just decided to eat together? What if we decided that nobody is exempt from being in our home? Like everybody's invited. That makes life really interesting, really quickly. And so interesting. So bring your curiosity to the table because we'll have to stay pretty curious about one another instead of deciding, I know who you are based on how you look, how you dress, how you speak, what that all what, has to go What away. flag you have. Flag you have. I mean, I mean, go a million you know, directions. and there are limits. There are limits. And I think, you know, we talk about boundaries in this book. There are some boundaries. Boundaries that just can't be crossed. You know, there are sure, boundaries talk that, about that, that a just, little. well, I, you know, I, I don't ever want to run the risk of distilling this down unhelpfully and just saying, you know, like, let's just all love each other and let's all get along because you know what, if, if the way you live or even believe threatens somebody's humanity, threatens their dignity, I mean, we, we might still have to find ways to coexist. We might still you know, find ourselves in situations where we are in conversation for something, we're working together or whatever, but I'm not, this isn't about giving everybody a pass. I know, and you know, and a lot of us know, I mean, we have to be able to agree on basic human dignity and respect and honor and, you know, being able to live our lives um, without fear, you know, so there are, again, like there are just nuances there that I don't want to dismiss. Mm. I think that's a great point. 
And, and even in a relationship like that, where someone's posture or beliefs or language causes harm to somebody else's just humanity, even then it's helpful to just keep an ear to the ground because people even can change. And so I have so many experiences in my life where somebody was causing active harm to people that I love based on just the words they're saying. And I just thought, this is not a safe place for my family. These are not words I want my kids' ears to hear. But just keeping a little bit of an ear to the door, it's so interesting because when somebody's, I mean, beliefs or thoughts or perspectives begin to be challenged, they look for somebody to work this out with. And you might just be, you might just have a conversation you didn't expect. And so I have now had come back with some folks and they were just like, would you be willing to have this conversation with me now? I I mean, you and I are both examples. I think that change is possible. And so it does, it it, it gets complicated. And that's the thing that I, I guess I want to say, like, we've got to, we've got to keep pushing against this idea that if it's not immediately comfortable, it's not the right thing. I mean, we're conditioned to just constantly want comfort. And so much of what is good about life is found in that, in that discomfort. And I love the way you phrase that, like just keeping that ear open because man, I, when I feel, and I, I can fall into feeling like, you know, I, I go into burn it all down mode, <laughs> at least in my well, mind. That's, that's your Enneagram eight coming in. It, is. it <laughs> so, does. Yes. But, but when I go in there, I have to remind myself like, you know, when I get frustrated that people just aren't getting it, whatever it is fast enough, man, I was a, I was a late bloomer in a lot of ways. And so one of the things that I I want to keep reminding all of us is, and I tell people this in my DMs, you know, that's where, that's where kind of the, the pushback comes to me is in my DMs. And I, I have capacity to engage to a certain extent, but I just keep reminding people, you have permission to just be curious in healthy ways, because we receive this message in evangelical spaces, especially like, you know, certain differences mean like, stay away. Deal breaker. Mm -hmm. What would happen if you just allowed yourself to believe you have permission to just sit and listen in curiosity, and that it didn't have to threaten your belonging in your community? I mean, and I know sometimes it does, but you know what, like I've seen over and over again, there can be losses, but the rewards are great. If we could just embody that permission and really believe that we don't have to be afraid, I think I think a lot of things would start to turn around. Oh, well, you know, you're singing my song. I know. And I mean, back to just be normal. What if we could challenge the notion? And again, I'm speaking specifically from kind of an evangelical space. So this would, some people would be like, what is she talking about? But if you, if that was your upbringing, what if we challenged the notion like, oh, wait, this person's everything, their life, their beliefs, their partners, their whatever, none of that is my responsibility to even add one ounce to. I don't have to, that's right. not my thing. I, I'm not right. trying to convince or change or cajole or shame. like. That's not my work. Uh, that's not that's my right. job, and it's not my responsibility. Nor is Thank it my God, Thank right? God, like what? If, okay, take that off the table. Now you can just have a conversation like a normal. 
Like, just be a normal and be curious. Like, and then what? Tell me about your mom. Like, how did you, what'd you do after high school? Just there. And then life unspools in a way that is like connected and beautiful. And that is a hard bit to unravel when that's been your programming. Again, because everything I was taught to do, say, and be was attached to an outcome. Everything. It's all right. Everything becomes a signal. I remember early in my time in this community, I mean, within the first year, I don't remember how I ended up at coffee with a woman. I've never had coffee with her since then. I still know her. We ended up at the coffee shop together. She had connections in my neighborhood. And we're sitting there talking. This is early. Okay. This is going to, this is going to exemplify the ways I've grown too. And we're having this great conversation. And she, you know, Goshen is a hub for more progressive Mennonite theology. Okay. That's a thing, everybody. It's a whole thing. And it's a beautiful thing. But she said something about being, you know, having this ethos of nonviolence. And she might've used the word being a pacifist. And I'm sitting there and I'm so intrigued. And I'm also like, am I in trouble? (laughs) I'm not kidding you. I mean, all of a sudden, like I grew up in this, like almost a culture that felt almost like war hungry. 100%. It's hard to explain to people who didn't grow up in it. But I remember a clear, am I in trouble? Because I'm sitting here talking to a pacifist. Am I in trouble? (laughs) That's right. <laughs> but that, but it was this sense of like, I, I knew like, oh, oh we, have, we have, like, she sees the world really differently than I was taught to. She sees God differently than I was taught to. Am I allowed to be having coffee with her? It's such a silly example, but I think we feel that in different ways all the time. And I'm just saying, we don't have to, oh, we don't have to. What a relief, like, right? We can just be so like, I could have. And I did like, that was one of the things that kind of taught me, like, am I in trouble? Oh, wait, I'm not in trouble. I can sit here and listen and be curious and think about new things and nothing is threatened. That's nothing right. Is threatened. That's right. Oh, it's so lovely. What a lovely way to live. This would change a lot of things. If folks adopted this posture toward one another, toward curiosity, boy, the trickle down effect would be immense. This would, it would change our, it would change the fabric of our, of our culture for sure. It's a good dream. I dream it with you. You know, I just love this. I love this work. And I want everybody to know that every little tiny thing we talked about today, you have parsed out in fullness in your three books. So from the beginning transition with falling free, the ministry of ordinary places earlier on in your sort of space that you live now. And then, you know, most recently start with hello. And so before I ask you what you're working on next, I had one really last important thing I wanted you to talk about, which I read this morning, because of course I subscribed to your newsletter because I'm not crazy. So (laughs) I want you to talk about this very important scientific discovery that you have gifted me with as of this morning. I just now knew it one hour ago. It's going to change your summer. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm, I'm shook. You're changed. I'm shook. Yeah. Like, I kept it open as a tab That's on so my hilarious. laptop so that when we're done, I can go back and, and read more. I want to fact check the Harvard this doctors. Is so funny to me. And I, just, I just can't wait to talk about it. Oh my so. gosh. This is so unexpected. Okay. I'm trying to move through my summer embracing abundance. However, it exists in the normal, in the ordinary. 
I think true abundance is something that's available to everybody. Okay. So this is kind of like my life is pure chaos. I always think summer is going to like, going to change my life. It's going to be the best of everything. It never is. No, it isn't. Cause we're all it's, just the same people just, that lived here in May. It's still worse. So, it's, we're yeah. just sweatier. <laughs> so there's less food in the house and we're sweatier. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, trying to it. learn. It's a work in progress, uh-huh. but one of the things that, that is abundant to me is reading magazines. I'm just going to give a minute of backstory. Magazines are falling out of fashion. I am their advocate. It's so special to me. And it's been this way forever to just sit and flip pages and see beauty and color. So I sat down, I had like a small pocket of time. I sat down to read an issue of the Atlantic, which I subscribed to from months ago that I'd never even opened. And I wanted to get to this really complex article on mental health stuff and on house people and, you know, stuff that I care about. But as I'm flipping through, I get to this article called something like the new science of ice cream. I don't remember the title, but I'm like, okay, I guess I'll get sucked into this first. And what I discovered in that article is a a real legitimate scientist and health person saying ice cream is healthier for us than bread. Bread. Yes, that's right. Don't think I won't forget. I will not forget that sentence. The whole point of this article is like, they're finding that people who regularly, I'm not kidding. People who regularly eat ice cream reduce their risk of diabetes. Like that, it's so specific. Yeah. And they're willing to believe this. They're kicking around. Like, could it be this? Could it be this? And you know, what about all these scientific things? Look it up, Google it, just Google the Atlantic ice cream, it'll pop up. And that is our abundance for today. Go eat some ice cream, it's good for us. We are ending on a high note. <laughs> See, look, and this is I'm drinking out of my ice cream cup. It's so perfect. Oh, it's very we didn't meta. even plan this. No, we didn't. <laughs> but I just read it and thought, I will suspend every belief I've ever been handed about sugar. I am willing to absolutely drink this Kool-Aid. Willing and prepared. Okay. Did you take the poll? Did you vote in the in the mocha almond fudge versus mint chip? No, what's your vote? Too. What's your vote? It's for sure mocha almond fudge. Thank you. Is that is we that the right keep... answer? Yes, I thought so. I have a fundamental problem with two things. I don't love the mint in my ice cream. Period. And also, unless it's done differently, I don't like little hard flecks of chocolate in my ice cream. That's not how I, I like love it. you. I love you. you know I, mean? I don't like those little yes. hard flecks. No. I, just, I want it to be different than that. This is, I don't want toothpaste flavored ice cream. If I'm going to have chunks in my ice cream, let it be chunks of cookie dough, really of any kind or big knobs of peanut butter. Yes. I'll have that all the days. Of course, you and I have the same flavor palette around ice cream like we do about brine. So that tracks. Okay. So before I ask you the very final question, which you've had to answer before, will you just quickly do two things? Tell everybody where to follow you and how and the newsletter, the whole, do the whole thing about that. And then I would just love to know, because I honestly don't know the answer to this. If you're, if you're working on something or conjuring something, maybe. Yeah. Where is that? Okay. Yep. Okay. So you can find me on Instagram at Shannon Writes. I'm also on Twitter. I like them both. I love them both for different reasons. I'm in both spaces most days. And you can find everything else, including 
the thing I'm the most famous for, which is not one of my books, but is my pickle recipe. That's right. <laughs> it, I mean, it listen. makes no sense. But I'm here Take for your it. applause wherever it comes. Okay. Hey, you deserve you, it in this one. They will change your life. I mean, people have said, I don't like pickles, but I love they're no cooked pickles. They're so easy. They're delicious. But you can also find, you know, my book, my sub stack. We're doing a thing right now called Fat Tomato Summer. And that's all I'm going to say. We have a lot of fun there. You can find all of that information on my website, shannonmartin.com. And then, yeah, like find my books wherever your books are found. And Start With Hello is going to be like the the bones of all these things. Like, you know, we even talked about like in the book, how to have people into your homes. How do we handle messes? What do we feed the people? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, so it's, it's a real wraparound sort of experience. And it's going to give you wherever you're at that starting point that, you know, look out and, and figure out, okay, today's the day I'm going to be more intentional in this way. It's super practical. I tell lots of stories. They're going to make you maybe cry, probably laugh. Yeah. So find those books. And then what am I, by the way, everybody, Shannon's parents are really special and her name is spelled S H A N N A N. So you'll never find her with the O N and you'll be confused. So no, thank you for reminding me. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I am in the noodling process of of more writing of of another book. I'm just in that very like I'm scribbling random things that I might never find again. I don't have a great system yeah. for this. <laughs> I am a Same. pen and paper this. kind of person. The, can you see this? These are That's some notes me. I'm scribbling. They're on two sides with arrows like I've got arrows and I wrote this way one way and this way one yep. way That's and what I'm doing. They're just index cards loose. It's really fun for me to do that and it's and it's daunting. It's all the things. It's all the things. But so yeah, I haven't written anything yet. And it might all change, as we know. We've both had that happen too. There's just a 0% chance you can ever stop writing because you are a writer's writer. Yes, you are a beautiful human person. You are an incredible wife and mom and friend and daughter and neighbor. You are an extraordinary writer. So whatever else you put your hands to, lovely, grow your tomatoes, do your things, but put those fingers on that laptop and write the words. <laughs> that is your, I think, like most profound gift. It's bananas to read your writing. You're so good at it. So whatever it is, it belongs on pages and, you know, I'll gobble it up. Okay. <laughs> finally, this is it. Last question. It's Barbara's question. What's saving your life right now? Two things. I always have two things, Jen. Bear I with love me. It. I, I love know. It. I know. I am going this very night to have you heard of the band Toad the Wet Sprocket from the 90s? Oh, have I heard of Toad the Wet Sprockets? Yes, I am your age. I'm I know, right? So they I don't want to say they're a, a 90s band because they're still out in the world touring. I'm going tonight to a Toad the Wet Sprocket concert. Yay, I'm so excited. In Michigan. So I'm driving with Corey and a friend of ours, and I'm meeting there at the concert one of my friends from kindergarten. Like we went to school K through 12 together, and we're going to this show, and I cannot wait. It's like, you know, summer mini road trip. But then the other thing I see some social media representation of this experience. Oh, come on. Okay. You will. I can't wait. The other thing that I'm going to throw out there because this has been a lifesaver to me, and it's related, it's music related. But anybody who's interested in this conversation we've had today, I want you to go find this song and listen to it. I listened to it. 
I mean, we listen to this band quite a bit, but just two nights ago, I was driving back from summer with Corey and the song was playing. And I said to Corey, this song legitimately makes me want to be better. It makes me want to like, it just, it's, it is magical and profound. It's by Dawes, D-A-W-E-S is the band. The lead singer is married, I think, to Mandy Moore. It's just a little bit of side trivia. So there's that. That's just a little fun fact. Dawes, the song is called Crack the Case. Pull it up on Spotify. You can link it, Jen, in the notes or whatever you do. I just wrote it on one of my really technical notes, which is the back of a receipt. I really think it's super, super special. I think it is saving my life. It's saving me from my anger, which is a go-to emotion of mine. So yeah, let me know what you think. Oh, I can't wait to listen to it. I've got the ice cream article to read. I've got this song to download. I've left it's some just, homework. I've got a full morning of input. And I'm you thrilled do. about it. Okay. Thanks for coming on today. I'm Thank so happy you. to see you. Thanks for being on today. Thank you. All right, you guys. We scratched the surface barely. Like Shannon has so much just depth to basically every single question we just tipped down on today. And so if you'll go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I will have this episode and all the show notes if you'd like to share it. And then I will link to everything Shannon just said, her site, her socials, all of it. So you can find that in one space. And I'm just telling you, if you don't already follow her, if you don't already know her, you are going to be so thankful. Like fix it today. Start with socials. Just go start following her. She embodies to me, everything kind of lovely and hopeful in the world. So, all right, that's it. You guys way more to come in the community and friendship series. We are deeply committed to this idea to finding our way back to each other. So we have an incredible lineup of guests coming your way. You're not going to want to miss any episodes. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to ever watch one of our interviews, we do a video recording of every single one of them and they're over on my YouTube channel. That's there for you too. If you'd like to pop that up. Otherwise you guys subscribe to the show and you'll never miss an episode. We have so many good ones coming your way. All right, you guys, we love you so much. See you next week.